The fight-or-flight center, the amygdala, in the brain, tends to divide the world into us and them. Binary thinking. To an extreme degree, to a point of almost absolutes, where our tendency neurologically is to view anything that is different as opposite. This is absurd, of course, but it happens all the time. You're either with me or against me. America, love it or leave it. Well, if you're not a right-wing reactionary, you must be a communist. If you're not a Republican, you've got to be a Democrat. Duality is to deny the maybes, the some of the times, the neither, the both, the permutations and, and combinations and variations in the middle. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hey, good morning and welcome to today's episode of Wisdom of the Soul brought to you by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Uh, Last time I checked, I'm Michael Benner. And uh, happy to be with you today. I look forward to this class very much throughout the week. I'd like to talk this week about empathy and compassion. And the title, actually, as you noticed if you read your newsletter, is Beyond Empathy and Compassion. What is beyond? I was tempted a week ago to talk about the rising violence in the Middle East because of the mere fact that this is a program about consciousness and not politics. And yet, I think that makes it all the more important that in that context, we talk about the opportunity, really, that's presented itself to rise to a higher understanding of what's going on than is portrayed in the media. I say I was tempted to talk about it last week, and I decided to put it off for a week just to give me some time to think about it, because it's really a gut punch for me. It's funny, uh, I don't mean funny ha-ha, but funny odd, that uh, we've lived all of our lives with this violence. Israel became a state in 1947, the year I was born. So throughout my entire life, and I presume all of your life, we've seen this violence and conflict. And since we're going to do a program on empathy and compassion, I thought, what better way to begin that discussion 
than in the context of what's happening in the Middle East. It's a complex situation for a number of reasons, to a large degree because it's so easy to conflate the actions of a government with its people. And I would hope that not all Americans would be judged by our past administrations, whomever they be. You know, I could go to the war in Iraq, I guess that stands out to me. You know, we're so horrified by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And we actually could see the victims of that war, Ukrainians interviewed on TV. When the United States invaded Iraq, oddly, we never heard from Iraqis. Now, curiously, we're not only getting the Israeli side, which we've always gotten, but we're beginning to hear from Palestinians. And there is more empathy, or key word for the day today, in media coverage of this war than I've ever seen in past wars in which the United States has a very strong vested interest. We certainly have an interest in supporting Israel. Israel could not exist without American financial and military support. But I think what this current administration recognizes is that we have an interest in there being peace in the Middle East and peace in the world to dissuade China from invading Taiwan and Russia from continuing its aggression in Ukraine. Here's my message. We have a structure in the brain called the amygdala, commonly known as the fight-or-flight center, which divides the world. This is where the metaphysics and the consciousness comes in. The fight-or-flight center, the amygdala in the brain, tends to divide the world into us and them. Binary thinking. To an extreme degree, to a point of almost absolutes, where our tendency neurologically is to view anything that is different as opposite. This is absurd, of course, but it happens all the time. You're either with me or against me. America, love it or leave it. Well, if you're not a right-wing reactionary, you must be a communist. If you're not a Republican, you've got to be a Democrat. Duality. There's certain evidence for duality. I mean, then there's certain situations where it makes sense. You know, hey, we're all going to um, the ballpark. Are you coming or not? There's really not much of an in-between. Well, I'll drive halfway to the... <laughs> I'll go halfway to the ballpark with you and then come home. You're either coming or you're not. But to overlay that with every decision to every uh, concept and point of view is to deny the maybes, the some of the times, the neither, the both, the permutations and, and combinations and variations in the middle. 
We did a class here a few months ago called the Middle Way. This is a concept in Buddhism that is really quite profound when you dive into it. It suggests that not only is there a middle way, but that that's where truth is found, not in the extremes of all of this and none of that, or all of that and none of this. So when we look at a conflict like what's happening in Israel, the tendency in most people is to choose a side, as if it's some kind of a football game or or a soccer match, the good guys and the bad guys. And there are no good guys in war. And there's no winning in war. It's one of the reasons that I'm stunned that it continues. And then I'm reminded, oh yeah, it's a very profitable thing. Well, that upsets a lot of people who really believe in the necessary evil that is war to defend your country and all the emotional pride that we have invested in the bravery and the courage, uh, the heroic efforts of men and women who sacrifice so much, who give their lives and flag and country and, and all of that. And you run up against that when you encourage pacifism and the abolition of war. We abolished slavery when most people said it couldn't be done, and only one-third of Americans supported the abolition of slaves, and yet it was accomplished. You might argue through war, but uh, not to prolong the discussion. The Civil War, the American Civil War, went beyond slavery. There's much more at stake than slavery. But this either-or mentality, this tendency to think in binaries, blocks our empathy. It inhibits our compassion. It prevents us from being the loving beings who recognize harmony and unity. And this is the cause of all suffering, not just war. That's why this is so important. The cause of all of our suffering is the illusion of separation. The fear and the anxiety and the stress, the worry, the doubt that arises as a result of the loneliness and the alienation that we feel, the struggles that we have about our identity as unique individuals and who loves me, and why am I lovable, and why do I feel like I don't fit in, like I'm not cool enough or part of the gang or a member of the clique that starts in junior high school. We don't have a part of the brain that's wired for love and harmony, for safety, for empathy and compassion. It has to be developed. We haven't evolved to that point yet. We have the potential. We're standing on the threshold of developing this ability, this consciousness, this 
expanded awareness, this capacity to love, to see ourselves and others and them in us. And surely this group in this class has compassion for both sides. The horrors that have been visited on each side by the other, not the people, it's not the Israeli people and the Palestinian people, it's their right-wing reactionary governments. Israel's government is very, very ultra-conservative, very far-right, very nationalistic and extreme. Hamas, if you can call it a government, they were elected at one point. They're more of a gang or a terrorist organization, but it's an autocratic government. Again, ultra-conservative, very far right-wing. These are two far right-wing autocratic governments fighting a war. And you can say, well, Israel is more democratic. It's much more democratic. Yeah, in many ways, you have to concede it's a, many freedoms if you're Jewish. But we have to be careful to recognize that many people will perceive a criticism of the Israeli government as anti-Semitism. And we should be free to criticize any government, the government of Israel or any other, without being called racist or bigoted. It's the government we have the issue with, and both sides. That's who's waging the war. But the people are the victims. And curiously, as I said, we're able to see the Palestinians and hear from the Palestinians. There are Americans married to Palestinians and Palestinian Americans who are in Palestine. You know, maybe they were born in Iowa of Palestinian parents, but they're in Palestine now. And speak very clearly, such that we can get a pretty even-handed view of what's going on there and just how tragic it is. It's really not about religion, because we have seen the same thing in Ireland, where Catholics and Protestants are both Christians, but they kill each other over who loves Jesus most. So in a sense, you could say, well, that's about religion, but it's, it's intra-religious rather than inter-religious. Makes it even more crazy. But I look, uh, I look at the Crips and the Bloods. I wonder who even remembers the Crips and the Bloods. These inner city gangs, you don't hear much about them anymore because the, the Mexican drug cartels have taken over the, the drug business, the illicit drug business in the inner cities. So the, uh, the black uh, youth gangs are not so involved in that as they used to be. But here you have, not only in Los Angeles, but other cities all across the United States, Chicago, New York, Philly, San Francisco, gangs of identical young black men oppressed by systemic racism and poverty, uh, a lack of decent education, poor housing, virtually 
no promise for a, a brighter, successful future who square off against each other based on who's red and who's blue. And so we're exactly the same, poor black inner city men, young men, in, in exactly the same situation, suffering in exactly the same way. But somebody has tricked us into squaring off against each other, triggering that amygdala at the base of the brain, that fight or flight, you're not me and I'm not you, and we're going to kill each other because you've got a red rag and you've got a blue rag. And yet we can send men to the moon and take pictures of Pluto, put magnificent telescopes into space, do miracles in the operating rooms, modern medicine and surgery and the technology of computers. I don't know if you guys are playing with chat GPT, but that's a mind blow. Somebody asked me to write him a testimonial and include these points. And I asked Chad GPT to do it. <laughs> Act like an expert public relations person and write a testimonial including these bullet points. Two seconds later, I, <laughs> it was just better than anything I could write. And that has such wonderful promise, and yet there's a specter that goes with that too. So we have all this incredible technology. We can do so much. And yet we're killing each other over what color rag we carry in our back pocket. This is crazy. And the antidote is empathy and compassion because this is the bridge or these are the bridges to true love. And I don't mean emotional love. I mean the spiritual love that we have to define is the absence of otherness the love that destroys separation and allows us to see that despite the beauty and the richness of our diversity and individuality, we have much more in common than not. And when you reach out, not mentally, but emotionally, as an empathetic person, and you train yourself and you practice empathy and compassion as we'll discuss today. You not only impact the world in a positive way, you completely transform yourself. You can become devoted to being an empath, to being less judgmental with your brain and more empathic and compassionate with your heart. And that's the essence of what I'm going to talk about. And that's as much as I have to say about the Middle East it's not political in my worldview. It's not religious in my worldview. It's insanity. It's just crazy. But it's institutionalized. These are giant profit-making machinery, socioeconomic political machinery behind this with enormous momentum. And it's not easy to pull the plug and stop war. Personal transformation is the only way to accomplish it. We have to, as Gandhi said, be the change that we wish to see in the world. We have to work on the local level. You stop war by 
changing the way you drive on the freeway and on the highways. Does that make sense? You can stop war by the way you treat a waiter or waitress, especially if you're upset with the food. That you can stop war by practicing kindness and and forgiveness and tolerance and patience and generosity, that that's the way you stop war, one person at a time, and let that begin with me. All right. That's our topic today. Let's do an opening meditation, and then I'll have more to say about building the bridges of empathy and compassion, and then we'll talk, we'll talk a little about what's on the other side of the bridge. So close your eyes and relax. Let's do a group meditation. Remember the room in which you sit and take a nice, slow inhalation, big, deep breath, filling your lungs. And as you exhale slowly, open your eyes now. Eyes open now, wide awake, back in the room, feeling fine, feeling better than before. So what are these bridges? How do we do this? Let me begin by just touching on the fact that you can go too far with empathy. There is too much of a good thing here. You've probably heard uh, empathy uh, described as standing in somebody's shoes. (laughs) Standing in their shoes. If you could put yourself into their shoes... How do you think they would be feeling? Or how would you feel if you were in their shoes? That's okay as far as it goes. But when you start walking around in other people's shoes, that's where codependency begins to be a real problem. And where we set ourselves up for manipulation by narcissists and other controlling and self-centered people. I did a class here a few weeks ago in codependency. It's a complex topic. There are coda groups, Codependence Anonymous, that help people understand, uh, unravel the complexities of a codependent relationship. But it's basically a swap. It's a rejection of responsibility for your happiness and the need for others to do it for you. So since I feel undeserving, I don't love, trust, or respect myself, maybe a little bit, but not as much as I could or should. And so I'm going to give my life away, basically. I'm going to betray myself in service to another. I'll call it love, and I may go through all kinds of, uh, what do I want to say, exaggerated, uh, amplified, distorted efforts to make it look like this beautiful romance, this loving sacrifice that you make to try to please others and accept responsibility for their feelings in hopes of earning from them the feelings you have not been willing or able 
to take responsibility for providing yourself. Hey, I'm lonely and empty and unloved. You're lonely and empty and unloved. Let's get together and we'll fill each other out of our emptiness. What sense does that make? I'm empty, have no love. You're empty, you have no love. Let's get together. I'll love you if you love me. Isn't that romance? Look at all the songs. Or listen, I'm so visual. Listen to, <laughs> to all the songs, the lyrics. I need your love. I want your love. I can't live without your love. I've got to have your love. My life has no meaning without you. I'm sorry, gag me with a spoon. That's pathetic. Real love is sharing out of your bounty, out of your abundance of self-love and self-respect and self-trust and, and a healthy view of who you are as the one and the many, the one and the individual, the, the whole enchilada and, and the apple. <laughs> I'm mixing my metaphors here. As the apple tree, the forest, and the apple. No, healthy love is a beautiful thing. It's sharing and caring. It's this incredible magnetic vibration of, I have all this love to give. And you apparently have a lot of love to give. And we've got this chemistry, this special chemistry, and we give to each other. But so often it's just the opposite. It's, I'm empty, I need your love. You're empty, you need my love. And because it's impossible... When it doesn't work, you blame the other person for the fact that you feel empty. You promised to fill me with love, and I've been loving you and sacrificing and going through all this pain and misery to love you, to, to be responsible for your happiness, and this is what I get? No, this is what you had coming into the relationship. You see? So in some senses, it's quite simple. It's just thinking backward. So when we talk about becoming more empathetic and more compassionate and more loving as a bridge to expanded awareness and higher consciousness and, and, and the realization that all separation is really an illusion, we have to recognize it's a balanced walk. You don't want to go so far as to betray yourself and be targeted by a narcissist. And they can be very charming. Very charming. And the melodrama. I've had clients send me emails of the exchanges. And you get all lost in this Harlequin romance. And it is so backwards. So wrong. Love is something you give, not something you get. It's in the giving of love, in being of service to other people, that you enjoy the love that you have. It needs to move. It's, it's like money, you know? It, what good is money if you don't spend it? You gotta keep it moving. The food in the refrigerator, if you don't use it, if you don't eat it, if you don't make something delicious, it's gonna rot. You gotta keep moving it. Love is something you give, give, give. Well, if I give, where is it coming from? It's spiritual, it's divine. All of this life itself. Where does your love come from? It comes from your where your breath comes from. 
Who's breathing you? Where do your thoughts come from when they're not deliberate and purposeful and your mind's just your mind's just chattering? Where do those thoughts come from? When you say to yourself, wait a minute, on second thought, hold on a minute, let me think again. Where did that come from? Who answers when you question yourself? Which one are you when the voices in your head argue with each other and you're ambivalent and, and, and you feel merit on both sides of the argument? Which one are you? Which of those voices? See, we don't know. We haven't figured that out. There are no classes in school on know thyself. It's all know the world, know other people, judge other people, figure them out, work for leverage, build a career. Become successful. Buy a bunch of stuff. Empathy and compassion and love is not something you do to fill yourself. You give that out of your bounty. You devote yourself to empathy. Again, it's a non-logical process when you say, I am committed to being more empathetic. Number one, that means being a better listener. How often I hear parents saying, and others in relationships saying, I talk and talk and talk and talk. Yeah, but are you a good listener? As long as you're talking, you're not learning anything. That ought to be obvious, but it's not to most of us. Every minute you spend speaking, you're not learning. Listening. There is such a thing as listening to yourself speak. But I don't want to make this too complicated. Listening to others, let's keep it simple is a f wonderful first step toward becoming more empathetic and more compassionate and developing the love that leads to the expanded awareness of wholeness and oneness, unity, harmony and unity. But it's also a commitment to set aside the internal dialogue, the mental chatter, and reach out with your feelings. Just sort of tune in to your feelings. Um, here's an example. Have you ever heard of gaze detection? Researchers believe they have isolated specialized neurons that are devoted, really, to knowing when somebody is staring at you, even if you're looking in the opposite direction. Now ask yourself, do I know how it feels to feel as if someone is staring at me and I turn around quickly and sure enough, there was somebody staring at me. How did I know that? You felt that. You turned your awareness away from thinking, 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 thinking into the body someplace, into the torso. Maybe it's in the heart area. Maybe it's in your solar plexus. If it's fear-based, it might be even lower down in your pelvis. But it could be in the palms of your hands. Be be become more aware of where I know such things. Where do my feelings live? Where in my body would I become aware of the fact that somebody is staring at me? And that's just one example of empathy, of it's almost telepathy, isn't it? There's sympathy, empathy, telepathy. How different are they really? 
We think of telepathy as reading their minds. It's really reading their hearts. That's where we're connected at the heart. That's the center. Right? Three chakras below, three chakras above. The heart's in the middle. The fourth chakra. Three above, three below. It's like the rainbow, color green. There's three colors above green, three colors below green. Green is the center. Green is the heart. Reach out. You know those situations where somebody has suffered grief and loss. Maybe someone they love died or is about to or is very sick and may die or they have financial problems or whatever the nature of the problem, it's serious. And you don't know what to say. Gosh, Michael, uh, those situations, I, I have to confess, I often avoid them because I just don't know what to say. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to say anything. You can just be there. Just sit there. Bring some food if you want. Ask them if there's something you can do to help out. You know, but it's enough just to sit there and just to listen and then reach out with your heart and empathize. Put yourself in their situation. Put yourself in their shoes. As I said, you're not going to walk around in them. They don't fit. It's just a figure of speech. You're not going to become codependent and swap feelings. You're not going to do their feelings for them. And you certainly don't need anything in return as a codependent would, just reach out for that sympathetic oscillation, sympathetic vibration, a sympathetic resonance. Sympathy, empathy, telepathy. I understand how you feel. I think I understand how you It's hard to imagine how you must feel. Whatever seems most appropriate. Because you don't want to discount. That's not being empathetic is to give them advice. Well, shake it off. You need to butch up. Well, you'll get over it. Well, everybody, oh, and here's a common thing we do. Oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about my loss and my suffering. Right, let's get them home. <laughs> People don't want to hear your story of how you suffered. Don't make it about you. Just share and care. Compassion is a little different. Compassion is a recognition that everyone suffers. Compassion is best employed when someone frightens you or is trying to hurt you or they bully you or they manipulate you. You can free yourself from being victimized by that by looking at them with compassion and recognize that their bad behavior comes out of suffering. This is about changing yourself and changing the world. You will benefit continually, continuously from developing your compassion and your empathy more than sympathy, reaching out building those bridges, understanding other people. It changes you. It 
it redeems us, it transforms us. Love heals. It makes us better people. It makes it easier to live with yourself. You become proud of who you are in a healthy way, not unhealthy pride, not ego pride, but a healthy, humble <laughs> kind of a self-respect. And others benefit as well. It goes in both directions. It's not like as you benefit, they benefit, or if you benefit them, then you benefit. It's even more than a two-way street. It's like this magnetism that just grows. You become one. Don't you see? That's that. That's what we're talking about. It's not just, gosh, I understand how you feel. You're becoming them and recognizing that you have been all along. You can empathize with anybody. You can empathize with Dick Cheney promoting torture. You can empathize with Donald Trump's excesses and even find compassion for the degree to which these people suffer. It doesn't excuse their behavior. Right? They're, they're still bigots. They're still racists. They're still, you know, people behaving badly. It's hard to say they're horrible people. I mean, in one sense, you can say these are horrible people that do horrible things. Deplorables, I think, was the word Hillary used. It's better to say they're people behaving badly, usually because of horrible, traumatic parenting. But these are not excuses for their behavior. And you can be compassionate and empathetic without exposing yourself to their abuse. You don't have to stand there and take abuse from anybody. You can just walk away, disengage. I refuse to, to put myself through this abuse. But as you turn and walk away, you can allow that empathy to grow into compassion for their suffering. And that will make you a kinder, more loving, happier person. That's the goal, is just to be happy. To let go of the suffering. This is a wonderful way to do it. <laughs>